And I want to start with a pasuk that appears in last week's parasha, a very well-known pasuk. And one of the difficulties um, of, of psukim that are well-known is that we know them so well, we don't realize how much we don't know them. Hamalacha goelotimi korai varechet ha-me'arim, source one. V'ikarevem shmi v'shem avotai Abraham v'yitzchak. So Yaakov gives this bracha to Yosef that um, that the Malach, or he's referring to God, should bless the boys, Menashe and Ephraim. V'ikarevem shmi v'shem avotai Abraham v'yitzchak. My name and the name of my fathers, Avram and Yitzchak, should be called on them. What does that mean, should be called on them? So I'd like to suggest that it means, uh, and, and the reason that this becomes viki bracha, b'chai varech Yisrael emor, that this is the way Jewish people bless their children, uh, is because this phrase has within it the most awesome bracha that we can know. And it is a, it's a symbiotic bracha. That these children should have my name and the name of my father's called on them. What does that mean? Uh, we don't have any other options but to call them. But the reason I, I, I suggested symbiotic is it means that these children should be worthy to be called the children of Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov. Me, Yaakov speaking. That Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov should be able to take pride in these children and see them as continuing the legacy. But it goes in the opposite direction, too. They should embrace the name. And you think about it, and I'm the Chvora Chatan Vakala, you think about it, when I meet people from YU, and I mention my daughter is about to, this is last week, is about to marry Yoni Broth. I say, oh, Yoni Broth, what an amazing guy. Now imagine if you are Yoni's parents and you're hanging around YU and say, you're Yoni's parents, woohoo, right? But imagine how proud Yoni is to be his parents' child. So I'm going to make it more directly personal. When I am hanging around the world of YU or NCSY or Hask and any, or any of the worlds that my daughter has brought her amazing light to and they say, oh, you're Ariella's father. So, that's me taking pride in my daughter. But the same thing happens also, and she tells me often when people meet her and hear her last name, uh, and they say, oh, you're Rabbi Shalom's daughter, and she takes pride. And that's the bracha here. It's an interesting piece because in Sefer Shmot, it begins, our parsha begins, Ve'ele Shmot B'nei Yisrael and you hear names. Now, Rashi and the Ramban and others are all bothered by the fact that the beginning of the Parsha repeats the mention of names of those coming down. The famous Rashi at the beginning of Shemot, Manautan ben Bechayehem, Manautan mitatan, God counts them when they're alive, God counts them after they're dead, God loves Ben Israel, it's beautiful. The Sforno comes from an opposite direction. The Sforno isn't bothered by the repetition, the Sforno is bothered by the reduction. Because in Parsha Vayigash, when B'nai Israel are counted as coming down, we get all the names. We get children, and we get grandchildren, and we even get a couple of great-grandchildren. One great-grandchild. Um, when it comes to the list at the beginning of Shemot, all we get is the children. That's it. We don't even hear Menashe and Ephraim. We certainly don't hear uh, Chetzron and, and Karmi and Shelah and Peretz. We don't hear those names. 
And so the Sforno has a take, which is a very difficult take. But his take on it is, is that at this point in time, the children were no longer worthy of being called B'nai Israel. They lost that greatness, that grandeur. And the best proof of it is that when the Egyptians, after that generation had died, the Egyptians imposed the labor tax on them, these people who were royalty took it. <clears throat> Instead of saying, we're not going to take this, and to get up and march en masse back home, because after all, we don't need to be here. There's no famine anymore. Instead, they took it, and they said, you know, this too shall pass. Of course, we heard that, you know, approximately 80 years ago in Europe also. This too shall pass. He says, that demonstrates that they had lost their sense of dignity. And that the idea of being identified with the name was lost. I'm bringing that up because a strange thing happens in the most famous scene in Parshat Shmot, which is the scene of the snap, Moshe at the snap. And the scene of the snap is introduced by the following. If we recall, the first chapter of Shmot is the premise of the Sefer, which is the movement from grandeur and elitism, if you will, to servitude and to infanticide. And the second chapter is chiefly a mini biopic of Moshe Rabbeinu from his birth and his miraculous salvation and from his uh, interaction in Egypt, which caused him to run away. We're going to come back to that. And his marriage and fatherhood in Midian, married to Tzipporah and the father of Gershom. And then we have this little interlude before we get to the key passage. Passage 2. Israel cry out from their work. God hears their pain. And we come back to the Karevam Shmi. Who does God remember? God remembers his breed that he made with Avraham, with Yitzchak, and with Yaakov. And notice, each one of them is enunciated. They get their own color scheme on my page. And that sets us up for the very next thing. There's nothing skipped here. Moshe is working for his, take it, father-in-law or brother-in-law, however you want to read, and he's shepherding the flock, and he goes into the pastures, which is probably a more accurate uh, uh, translation of Midbar, and they graze, and they come to Har Elohim, and Moshe sees the bush, and it's burning, and he's surprised, and he comes over to see it. Watch what happens. God speaks to him and says, don't come close. We're all familiar with that. Take your shoes off. It's a holy place. And how does God introduce himself? I am the God of your father. Now, that should mean I am the God of Amram, Moshe's father. And then Hashem continues, Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov. This is, by the way, the first time that we see this formulation. We'll see it two more times, all within this story, all within this, this scene at the snap. But Abraham, but Hashem introduces himself to, to Moshe as Elohei Avicha, the God of your father, and then either adds to that or defines that as Elohei Avram Elohei Yitzchak Elohei Yaakov. And moving quickly on, Moshe is afraid. Moshe doesn't want to look. 
And Hashem then tells him, I have seen what's happened in Bnei Israel. I remember my Brit. I'm going to take them out of this land to bring them to this wonderful land. And I'm going to send you. And Moshe says, who am I? And Hashem says, I'm going to be with you. Right? And then Moshe says, I'm going to come to Israel and I'm going to tell them. Take a look at Pasuk Yod Gimel. I want you to notice what's changed. Moshe says, I'm going to come to Bnei Israel. I'm going to tell them, the God of your fathers. What did we want Moshe to say? But it says, I'm coming as an outsider. I'm going to say, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they're going to ask you, what's his name? In other words, I'm coming as an outsider. You're the God of their fathers, not of me. What should I say to them? And so Hashem says famously, And then, Hashem continues, And I want you to notice that here there is a subtle rebuke. That now Hashem says to Moshe, go tell them the God of your fathers. He doesn't say to Moshe, tell them the God of our fathers or the God of my father. He supports, as it were, as it were, he validates, as it were, Moshe's sense of outsideness. But outside of what? Right now on a surface level, it seems to mean outside of B'nai Yisrael. I'm not part of the group. I'm not going through the servitude. I grew up in the palace, etc. Maybe, maybe there's more. That's who sent me. That's my name. Now, go gather the elders and tell them, Hashem, the God of your fathers. Again, your fathers. Go tell them, Moshe, the God of your fathers appeared to me. And then, famous, the line, the famous and then it go, the negotiations go on. And we've talked about this in, in detail in earlier years about how to understand the back and forth and the constant degradation. I don't mean that. I mean, lowering of the expectations and of the anticipation of this agency as Moshe continues to refuse it. And the terms become, shall we say, watered down. And now when we come later on into this interaction, Hashem gives Moshe signs. The first sign is the stick, and the second sign is the tzarat. And now, what does Hashem tell him after he gives him those two signs? So they will believe that Hashem, the God of their fathers, again, Hashem is validating and putting his own imprimatur on that phrase, the God of their fathers, who has appeared to you, the God of Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. And it continues on. Hashem tells you the third sign. This is the second sign. This is the tzarat. And the third sign with the blood. And then Moshe says, I can't speak well. And Hashem says, who do you think it gives you the power to speak? And then Hashem, and then Moshe says, please send somebody else. And Hashem gets angry and he tells him to take Aaron. I'm familiar with that. But I want to explore one piece that's happened here. What happened between the great promise of the opening words, which is Elohe Avicha to Elohe Avotam. And why does Hashem first introduce himself as Elohe Avicha? 
So in order to understand that, I think we have to look back into the previous chapter, which is Moshe's biopic. And we'll find something curious happening here. And I want to preface it by asking a much, much bolder question. It's question three on the page. I'll call it a bigger question. What's the first Rashi in Kumash? First Rashi, back in Breshi. What does he say? Least him. Why did... No, before that. Uh, the Torah only had to start in the middle of Sefer Shemot with the first mitzvah. Right? And then that leads to the listing. Right. Why did the Torah start? Okay. So the Rashi's question, which other Rishonim pick up on, and they reframe the question, but the undercurrent of that question is, what do I need Sefer Breshit for? Now, the answer is I need Sefer Breshit, like the Ramban says, for some essential belief issues about creation. And I need Sefer Breshit because it's the necessary background to Sefer Shmot. But then that breaks down when you start looking in Breshit and you start seeing all sorts of stories that seem tangential, that don't seem to provide necessary background for the story in Shmot. Why are they there? And I'll give you one example. Avram and the kings. Avram, the famous war of the four kings, the few four huge empires coming and invading all of the little hamlets in, in Canaan, including the five little shtetlach that, uh, with uh, Stom and Amorah, etc. Who cares about that story? So you could make the argument that that story is needed because at the culmination of that story, the promise of those who bless you will be blessed shows up with Malkitzedek. Maybe. I think there's something else going on. And there's many other stories that take place in Breshit. you got to wonder, why are they there? So we, of course, read Breshit in a linear fashion. We start with Abraham, and we move forward. I'd like to suggest, just temporarily, tentatively, arguendo, for us to take a look at Breshit through the lens of Sefer Shmot, and more particularly through the lens of the the personality of the most important Jew who ever lived, Moshe Rabbeinu. Let's take a look at Moshe's little biopic. This is after Moshe is named and brought to the palace. He's adopted by Bat Paro, and she names him Moshe. Moshe grows up, and he goes to see his brothers and see how they're doing. How to see their, their oppression. He sees a Mitzri striking one of his brethren, an Ishivri. Which, by the way, is important because when you look at the opening part of the Pasuk, the first highlighted piece, you don't know who his brothers are. His brothers are the Egyptians or the Hebrews. You find out. Famous. Moshe looks in both directions. Nobody's there. He kills the Egyptian, he buries him. He comes out and he sees two Hebrews fighting with each other. And Chazal understand that one of them had a fist raised, and Moshe calls him a rasha. That's how we get the halacha. Somebody threatens violence against somebody. They're already called a rasha and are, are invalidated as a witness. Right. What does this guy say? Who made you a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me? Just like you killed the Mitzri. 
yesterday. Moshe becomes a phrase, says, now the matter is known. In other words, I thought that I killed him and nobody knew. People know. Paro hears about it and he wants to kill Moshe. So Moshe runs away and he goes to Midian and he settles in next to a well. The coin of Midian has seven daughters. They come and they fill the, the sockets there, then to fill up their water in order to give water to the flock of their father. So the other shepherds come and chase them away. Moshe stands up and he saves them. And he gives water to their son. They come to Ruel, who's their father, the Kohen Midian. Why did you get here so quick? And as he was used to them coming home late because they had to wait till all the shepherds finished. An Egyptian saved us. He also gave the water to us. So he said to his daughters, where is this guy? Why do you leave him alone? Kiran lovi ochalachem, bring him in to eat a meal. Moshe and Moshe then commits himself to stay with this man. Moshe, and this man gives Tzipora his daughter as a wife. And he has a kid, and he calls him Gershom, and that takes us up to the prelude to the snap. Now we all know this story, but if you look at it carefully, you can see very loud echoes from Sefer Breshit. Let's start with this. Abraham is known as a man of chesed. And in the past, I've suggested that chesed should be better translated as loyalty than as pure kindness. But however you want to translate it, what is the event that we point to and say, aha, you see, Abraham is a man of chesed because, look, he did this. What's the event you point to? So ask the average person on the street, I'll tell you what they'll say. Tell me if I'm wrong, but the average person on the street will say, Avram at the tent with the three strangers. Right? I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. I'm not saying that that's not chesed, but that's not even close to the biggest. Take a look at source, source four from Parshat Lech Lecha. The four kings come in. They take the whole territory. They take all of the property of Stom and Amorah, all the food from there, and they go off. They take Lot and his property, and who's he? He is Avram's nephew. And Lot was living in Stom, as we heard earlier, and that's why they take him. This is the first Ivri in history, is Avram Ivri right here. So some guy runs away. I'm familiar with the Midrash of Og, but some guy runs away from the army camp. And from the hostages, and comes and tells Avram Ivri what happened. Avram is living in the plains of Mamre, that's Hebron. Who's Mamre? The brother of Ashkol, the brother of Aner, three brothers. They're people who have a treaty with Avram, they work together. What is Avram here? That his brother has been, brother, this is Lot, his nephew, has been taken captive. By the way, do you notice how many Ach, there is in this little parsha. Everybody's an Ach. Lot's an Ach, even though he's a nephew. 
אשכול, ממאנר, ממרא, אול אחים. וירק את חניכיו ילידי וידו שמונה עשר שלוש מאות וירדוף אדן, he gets his whole little contingent, he goes and changes them all the way to Dan. Dan is its own problem. So he splits the camp and he surrounds them at night. He chases them further north in Damascus and the kings get away, but the hostage camp isn't back. He returns all of the property, including Lot and his property, all the women, all the people. Avram saves them. This is an act of amazing chesed. This is not a guy serving three guests some food. This is also an older man going to war, leading a nighttime march to ambush the huge armies of the Middle East. For what purpose? <clears throat> Save Lot. Lot, who, by the way, had abandoned him. You cannot get better chesed him. But notice... This is where the first Ivri shows up. Now, please compare this with the story here. Moshe sees these girls who are, first of all, Moshe comes out and he sees an Ivri being beaten. And what does he do? <clears throat> he intervenes and he saves him. And who does he see? He sees an Ish Ivri, again an Ivri. Me'echav, again, his brothers. And then later Moshe comes and he comes to Midian and he sees the girls being ha- harassed and he stands up and he, re- and, he re- and he, uh, and he saves them. This is Moshe building on, if you will, the legacy of Abraham, of chesed, of getting involved and helping the, the um, disenfranchised and the vulnerable and standing up for them. This is, this is Abraham in Moshe. What happens to Moshe after he kills the Mitzri? So he comes out and he sees these two people fighting and, uh, and they say, you're going to kill us like you killed the Mitzri. And Moshe gets afraid and Paro hears about it. What does Paro want to do? Paro wants to kill Moshe. Now let's stop and think. Who is Paro to Moshe? Paro is Moshe's Abba or Saba. He wants to kill his own child. Does that sound like a familiar story in Breshit? Sounds like the Akedah. And what does Moshe do? Moshe runs away. We have Midrashim about where Yitzchak went after the Akedah, but one thing is clear, he disappears. He's not there when Sarah dies. He's not there to commission the slave to go get a wife. Yitzchak's off the scene. I want you to also note that when the girls come in, what does their father ask them? Madua miharten bohayom. How'd you get here so quickly? Does that sound familiar? It should. Because when Yaakov comes in dressed as Esav with the game, what's the first thing that Yitzhak asks him? How'd you get here so quick? Notice some of the Yitzchak story being evoked in the story of Moshe. And then, of course, Moshe ends up marrying Ruel's daughter and ends up working for his father-in-law and later for his brother-in-law, tending the sheep. 
If that is not a Yaakov story, I don't know what is. There you have it. And it goes even further. Because if we were to posit our Ba'avot, we don't have, we have Stoshavot. I know the song. But if we posit our Ba'avot, who would be the fourth of? It's clear. It would be Yosef. I, you're going to suggest, but he's not a father to everybody. I know, but neither was Rachel or Leah. Rachel was a mother to two, and Leah was a mother to six. In the meantime, there's Bilhan Zilpah, and yet we call the Arba Imahot. Like the Gemara says, until then, they were Chashuvot. If we were to have a fourth Av, it would be Yosef. What does Moshe call his son? Ger Shom, because Ger Hayiti Batsnochriah. He names him based on the fact that he's a foreigner and a stranger in the land. What did Yosef name his kids? Menashe, because God has helped me forget my father's house. Ephraim, because God has made me fruitful in the land of my oppression. So we look back and we see that in this little biopic of Moshe Rabbeinu, some of the details which seem to be a little unimportant, maybe, what we see is a weaving of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and a touch of Yosef in the grand personality of the young Moshe. And I'd like to, for a second, suggest, I don't want to ever leave this permanent, but for a second, suggest that we look through the lens of Moshe Rabbeinu back at Breshit and say, aha, we needed to hear the stories of Yitzchak and Avraham and Yaakov and of Yosef. We need to hear all these stories because they tell us who Moshe is. So when Hashem first approaches Moshe to Snem, let's remember, Hashem was induced to initiate the redemption because he remembered the breach with Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. So who's going to be the agent of that of that redemption? Somebody who embodies Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. The little textual hints are there just to tell us the bigger picture, which is the greatness of Abraham, the tremendous loyalty to family, the greatness of Yitzhak, that single-minded devotion to God, that greatness of Yaakov, the ability to father a great nation, Become embodied in one person. That's Moshe Rabbeinu. And now Hashem is ready to start the redemption process because Moshe Rabbeinu is ready. So how does Hashem introduce himself to Moshe? Anochi Elohei Avicha. I am the God of your father. Meaning this is who you are. And who is your father? Avraham Yitzchak and I. That's who you are. Moshe, at this point in his career, is not ready to stand up to the test. He's not ready to embrace that greatness. And this entire narrative at the snare is a narrative of consistently ramping down Moshe's readiness and therefore the stature of the redemption. The redemption might have been something far more powerful and far more instantaneous. But that Moshe said, I'm not, I need a sign, what's the name, etc. No, I can't go, send somebody else, I can't talk. And it moves down and down. And Hashem lets us know that because he starts with Anochi Elohei Avicha and the grand vision is re- is re- presented. And after Moshe takes a step back, 
He says, Go tell B'nai Yisrael, Elohei Avotechem. He's the God of your fathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Not yours. Their fathers, not yours. You can't come to B'nai Yisrael and say, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, my father, because you're not ready to embrace their greatness yet, but it's in you. And you will ultimately embrace it when you come back here to Harsina after redeeming them. In the meantime, it's Elohei Avotechem. But I've started this process, I'm not going to go back. Chazal allude to this, this piece of the puzzle, when they point out that when Hashem appeared to Moshe, Moshe was afraid and looked away. And as a machloka tanaim, if that was a good thing or a bad thing. And the position that was a bad thing, that it was a weakness, is exemplified in the later phrase after the Egel when Hashem, Moshe says to Hashem, Hareini nat kvodecha, show me your glory. And Hashem says, not so quick. You can see the back, not the front, whatever that may mean. And Chazal famously say, Kshiratsiti lo ratsita. When I wanted to show myself to you, you weren't ready. Now that you want to, I'm not interested. Which, by the way, if you think about it, is the entire Shir Hashirim. Look at Shir Hashirim, you'll see what I mean. Kshiratsiti lo ratsita. When I wanted to appear before you, you weren't ready. At this point, Hashem was ready to crown Moshe Rabbeinu as the sum of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov together, the single man who's going to take them out. It took a very painful process of Moshe's education of the whole long plague narrative, and ultimately of years in the Midbar, before and after Har Sinai, until Moshe Rabbeinu was actually able to fully embrace that position that he had. It's what we always hope and pray for, that our children will take pride in our name and take pride in the fact that they're our children, and that we will take pride in who they are. That Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov will look and say, oh, Moshe, what a, what a great descendant we have. And the Moshe will be fully ready to embrace and say, take the legacy that he has inherited as being a descendant of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And that's the greatest bracha you can give to any chatan and kala. Make yourself proud to your kids and make your kids proud to you. Make sure that your kids walk around and when people mention how how much they like your parents, that you take pride in that. And that when your parents ever meet somebody who meet, who met you, that they could take pride in who you are.